Praise God. Y'all doing good tonight? Yes. Good. Good. I'm doing good. I had fajitas for lunch, guys. I know. Uncle Julio's fajitas for lunch. So yeah, I'm good. You know the downside of having fajitas for lunch? Nothing. There is no downside. I realized that today. There is no downside ever for having fajitas for lunch. Something I learned today. Okay, I'm excited about tonight. Um, <clears throat> I'm excited uh, because tonight I am, uh, I'm going to get to talk about the gospel. And I'm going to get to talk about the gospel and the gospel and the gospel. And if you're in here thinking, man, you all, we always talk about the gospel. right? That's always, we, we always get in here and we talk about the gospel. Yes, so that is true. And if you give me something better than the gospel, then we will talk about it. Um, but until then, we're just going to keep talking about the gospel. And um, we've been in this really cool series. Well, I think it's cool. Uh, I mean, I made it up. So, yeah, I think it's cool. Uh, we've been in this series called Barriers. Um, and what we're doing is we're looking at, uh, at barriers that all of us either are in the middle of or have faced in our life of barriers that have kept us from taking that step of faith. And maybe it's the step of faith, right? Maybe it's the decision to say, man, I'm going to stop living for myself and I'm going to follow Christ. Or maybe some of us in this room are followers of Christ, and yet there's still these barriers in our life uh, that's holding us back from really what it looks like to maybe uh, surrender to Christ in, in more ways and in a deeper way and all those things. And so uh, we've talked about uh, different levels of barriers, right? We talked about that there's intellectual barriers. Um, and these are good intellectual barriers. Man, there are people... Uh, there are people who ha have not bought into Christianity. They have not drunk the Kool-Aid. And not just because they've never heard about it and not just because they're foolish, but because they've got really intelligent, really smart, thoughtful, intellectual barriers that they think, man, I see that that works for you guys, but there are some, there are some intellectual things that don't connect that are keeping me from following. And those are, they're, they're good, there are good barriers out there that I think a lot of people in the Christian faith haven't even really wrestled with. And so we, we've kind of gone through some of those and looked through some of those and addressed those. And then we talked about emotional barriers. There are people who don't want to follow our God uh, because of some emotional uh, hurdles that they're not there with. Maybe they're angry at God, right? Maybe they look at their life and they look at pain in their life and they say, man, if, that is the, if there is an all-powerful God and he allowed this kind of pain in, the, in my world and in the world around me and these relationships, I don't want to worship that God. I don't want to... I don't want to follow and surrender my life to that kind of a, a mean God. And so there are very legitimate emotional barriers, and then there's volitional barriers. And we talked about volitional barriers just being, being seasons of our life, or maybe you're in this place where you have yet to surrender to Christ because you just don't want to, right? Because you just want to do it your way. And the idea of just your will versus his will, and I've got to do it his way, but I really like doing it my way, and there becomes this volitional barrier. So we, we even talked... A, a couple weeks ago about hypocrisy becoming this thing that um, is, is real legitimate. The world sees a bunch of broken people who are pointing to God and representing Christ and label ourselves Christians, and there's just so much hypocrisy in the church. Why would the world look at that and say, yeah, I want to follow that God when they see so much of the hypocrisy? And so really trying to wrestle honestly with what that looks like, but then also how, how believers in this room are able to grow out of that, at least take some steps uh, to, where, uh, to where that isn't as prevalent in our life. And we talked about judgmental postures and all those things. So here's where we're going tonight. Tonight, we're gonna address the barrier um, of boring. There are, um, there are plenty of people who are in our culture and they're, I think if y'all are honest, 
uh, tonight that there are seasons in your life, and maybe you're in the season, where you look at what it means to follow Christ, and you look at the gospel, which we're going to talk about tonight, and you think, man, yeah, that just doesn't look like fun. In fact, the way I'm living my life now is really fun. So maybe when I have kids one day, you know, maybe when I, you know, when I get older and I got to have kind of a family and settle down, maybe then I'll circle back around. But right now, as a young adult, I don't want to give up the freedom I have to go and not do all the fun things that right now I really want to do. And, and so it becomes this barrier that is, uh, I think we have to legitimately look at to say, man, is the gospel boring, right? I mean, is the gospel this life of just abstaining from all of these things that, uh, that are fun. And so uh, we've been showing these videos, these testimonies, and so uh, I want you guys to listen to Brody uh, as, uh, as he shares a little bit about how this has played out in his life. Hi, I'm Brody Harrington, and to me, growing up, church was kind of boring. There's so much more fun things to do on Friday and Saturday night. I didn't see the draw, What's, you know, to sitting around drinking kombucha, going over Bible study plan on Friday nights, and all my friends, you know, the football team were other people were out, you know, going out Friday nights, drinking, going to bars, um, sitting at home, you know, hanging out together, holding hands, singing Kumbaya, didn't really seem like the draw for me. So I struggled with that. That was kind of a barrier for me um, to fully committing into uh, getting into a community, having a great community or really committing to the church lifestyle. Through the years, through the seasons of my life, I pursued, you know, hanging out, having fun, going out, uh, doing it all, and I've learned time and time again through you know those pursuits of um, all those different things that it all has an end and it's a foreseeable end, and it ends. It leaves you wanting. Um, there is no. It doesn't give back. There's no life in it. I spent who knows how many you know tons of dollars. <laughs> So much time uh, pursuing these things, these fun, these worldly things that I thought would bring me happiness and were fun and looked awesome. But at the end of the day, you know, you wake up feeling drained, you feel empty, hollow, like you've made poor decisions, poor choices, and you regret what you've done that weekend. So when I finally found a community that was Christ-filled, I stopped living just for the weekend, just for Friday and Saturday night. Um, and having an empty hollow week. Uh, I started finding true joy and meaning throughout the week, throughout the day, really looking forward to Sundays, like all day, um, Wednesday nights, other nights of the week, and it wasn't just Friday night, Saturday night, and just really transformed my perception, how I looked at every day. It gave me a hope that honestly, it, it shone through every morning, every day, and it's something that wasn't there before. It just, again, hollow. So it, it was transformative, finding a community that was Christ-filled um, and really committing to it. It wasn't boring. <laughs> There's so much to do, um, so many things to look forward to, so many opportunities to hang out and fellowship with people in a genuine way that's fun that I have to say no to some things, which before, that was never the problem. Man, praise God. <clears throat> I love that. Uh... I love that that story has a happy ending uh, and, and kind of where, where Brody has, uh, has landed with that, and we love that that guy's a part of this uh, ministry. Um, that's what we want to address tonight, is what that lifestyle looks like of, uh, of walking away from the things of the world. And uh, there, there's one other thing I want to preview, too, 
uh, I want to preview what we're doing next week. And so next week, I should have said this at the beginning, next week uh, is maybe going to be my favorite week um, because we've done this whole series and we've talked about all these barriers. Um, but next week, what we're going to do is I'm going to drag three people, not three people from you guys, but three of people who I really respect. And uh, I, I work with one of them, um, but they're just really, really gifted, smart people whose stories are, are really incredible. And I'm going to drag them up on stage and, uh, and we're going to do a Q&A. And so what we're going to do next week is we want to hear from you. Um, and so actually the phone number, Jeffrey, is, uh, that's Jeffrey's phone number, that's not Jeffrey's phone number, that's our phone number. Jeffrey, if you put your number up there too, that'd be great, man, just so we can say hey to you. Um, but that is, uh, that is our uh, Life Stage 2 uh, number, man. What we would love for you is uh, to text us, man, to text us questions, even throughout the sermon tonight, uh, throughout the week. Um, on social media, we'll put this number back up there a few times, but you could even show up uh, next week and just start texting questions live and we'll answer them because what we wanna do um, is we wanna keep engaging in this conversation. And I have preached at you guys now for four or five sermons, uh, but what we wanna do next week is, man, we wanna really wrestle hard with, okay, but where are we still struggling, man? We would love, if you are in this crowd and you've still, you're standing on the other side of a barrier and you're like, man, I have not gotten a sufficient answer for this. Maybe it's intellectual, maybe it's emotional, maybe it's how could a good God allow this to happen. Maybe it's kind of that will and that volitional thing. Uh, we would love to hear that and text those in and, uh, and let us interact with that and maybe answer some of those questions that you haven't heard uh, answers to. So it's a night that really you guys shape. Uh, I think it's gonna be one of my favorite nights, mainly because I think we're gonna be able to hear from people who uh, maybe ha are really struggling with, with some barriers or maybe you just know some people and you want to hear an answer. Man, what do you say to the person who says this? What do you say to the person who's got this doubt? And so um, I've strategically left that phone number up on the screen for a little bit. So take that down, write it down, put it in your phone, uh, and then text those questions throughout tonight or, or throughout the week. And, uh, and that's what we're doing next week. So um, I'm honestly super excited about it. I, I think it's gonna be, yeah, I think it's gonna be a really, really cool night. So that's next week, <clears throat> tonight. <clears throat> is the gospel boring, right? Like, is this idea, right? Do we just sit around and sing kumbaya and drink kombucha, which I love that that was his perception of following Christ. I love that, um, right? Like, what does that look like? Is it this, man, if I become a Christian, that means I can, I can no longer do all this stuff. Um, I heard a pastor say this one time. I, I kind of wanted to hit him. Uh, he said this. He said, the gospel, this was a quote. He said, the gospel is like broccoli, and I just like kind of threw up in my mouth a little bit. Because here's the thing I want to talk about tonight. I'm just going to take us to scripture. We're just going to jump in and say, man, what's the truth? What is the, like, what is it? What, what is the gospel? What are we called to? What does this life look like? What are those adjectives that we should define a life marked by, a life submitted to the gospel? What should that look like? That's where we're going. But let me tell you where it's not. It's not broccoli. The gospel is not broccoli, right? This thing that you know, the perception of it is, oh, nobody likes the taste of it. And when you're a little kid, you, oh, man, I, I'm supposed to eat it. It's good for me, but I don't really want to, but I know it'll have long-term benefits. And so much of our culture sees that as Christianity. They see Christianity as this thing of a lot of people who are giving up a lot of fun in their life, especially in the young adult window of our life, giving up and abstaining from all this fun, worldly enjoyment and pleasure. And we're giving it up so that maybe we can get a long-term benefit. That's not the gospel. That's not what he has called us to. 
Um, it's not broccoli. And so that's, uh, we're going we're gonna to ask two questions. We're going to ask, what is the gospel and what do we do about it? So first, we're throwing around this word a lot. Let's define what the gospel is. The gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul lays it out really clearly. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says the gospel is the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so what the gospel is, <clears throat> is the good news that goes really well with the bad news. And the bad news is that we are broken people. The bad news is that we are imperfect, but our God is perfect. The bad news is that we come up short, and yet our God is holy and perfect. And so, so what happens is the God of the universe 2,000 years ago, in the person and work of Jesus Christ, who lived the perfect life, who didn't come up short, hung on a cross, suffocated on a cross, died on a cross, and then we believe in the gospel that he was buried in a tomb three days later, he physically rose from the dead. He defeated death. And then, then he ascended to heaven after 40 days and now he sits at the right hand of God interceding for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. And so what we believe is that the gospel is the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus and that those who put their faith in that get access in a relationship and Christ's righteousness on us so that we might approach God. That's the gospel. Right? It, is, it is a life surrendered in faith to Jesus Christ, recognizing I am not good enough, I cannot be good enough, my church attendance, my renovate attendance, no matter how many .5Ks I run, I cannot earn salvation apart from the work of Jesus Christ, apart from putting my faith in Jesus Christ, because he was, he was not our prophet, he was our king who laid his life down, right? who, who sacrificed his only begotten son. And so that's what the gospel is, right? So I, I want us to kind of zoom in a little bit on some adjectives. So the first one is this. Um, the, the first one is this. And my temptation here in a sermon like this would be, okay, I want to make the gospel look good, right? I want to make it look good because it is good and it's powerful and it's life-changing and it has transformed my life and people around me. And, and so I want it to look good. And so the temptation in a sermon like this is to just sugarcoat it, right? I'm going to give you a bunch of adjectives to really sugarcoat the gospel. That's not where we're going. Right? I just want to give you truth. And so the first thing I want us to see is that the gospel is dangerous. The gospel is dangerous. Um, now, there's a couple of things here. We could talk about the gospel being dangerous, and for those who follow Christ, that lifestyle being dangerous in a persecution standpoint, right? Uh, man, to put, to put your faith in Christ, there is a, a persecution that can come along with it. And there is absolutely a, a bodily persecution that could happen uh, and does absolutely happen in other countries, in America, specifically in Fort Worth, Texas, uh, odds are you are not in risk of your life uh, or your family's life to, to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Um, there's definitely persecution in other ways. I'm sure you could categorize it. And, and even just living a life of holiness in some ways is, is maybe not going to help you uh, climb the corporate ladder or somebody else. And so, yeah, you could kind of create some persecution. But here's really where I, I think it becomes dangerous and almost this, um, this danger of the gospel is Paul. Paul in Galatians 2.20, which is one of my favorite verses. Uh, he says this. He says, um, he, well, he says, for I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives within me. And then he says, the life which I now live, I live in faith in the one who loved me and gave himself up for me. And so here's what happens when, when Paul says that. When Paul defines the implications of the gospel in his life, he says, look, my life is not my own. I have now been crucified in Christ which means 
Paul is saying, hey, as a Christian, as someone who's put my faith in Jesus, my life isn't mine. I'm dead. And the life I now live, I live in faith in the one who loved me and gave himself up for me. So let me, let me tell you how that makes a Christian life really dangerous. Um, it means that we're not in control. It means that I don't get to be in control. Uh, that, that's what it means. That's why it's dangerous. I think it'd be really easy and um, I wouldn't blame somebody from the outside looking in to say, man, Christianity is safe and it's this you know, kind of coddling community where you believe in this God and that's emotionally kind of this crutch for you and you know, it makes you feel better to believe in a higher power. That, that would be a pretty thoughtful critique, I would say. But I would say that's a misunderstanding of what real Christianity is. Because I would argue to not believe in God, to not believe in an authority, right? To not have to submit my life to say, I am dead to myself. The life which I now live in the flesh, in this world, I live in faith in the one who loved me and gave himself up for me. That is dangerous. Because now all of a sudden, I don't get to be my own God. Whereas if I can reject that, if I can say, man, there's no God, that's just to make you feel better, well, then I get to be my God and I can take care of myself and I can go where I wanna go to be safe and if I don't like this and I, can, I don't have to submit to anyone's authority other than my own, which is, which is way more comfortable than a life where I have to say I'm under his authority, I'm under his leadership. My life isn't my own. I surrender control. The gospel is dangerous, guys. The gospel is, is living a life that is dangerous, not just with persecution, but it's living a life where I am vulnerable because when conflict happens, I don't just get to be my own God and say, I'm gonna resolve this conflict how I want to resolve it. I say, man, I gotta submit to what my God says I should, how I should function in this conflict. When temptation comes, I don't get to just say, oh man, I get to do whatever I wanna do. I have to say, okay, I gotta submit to what does the Lord say? And it's, a, it's this dangerous, vulnerable place to be. But it's worth it. It's worth it. My hope by the end of this night is that all of these things that we see, we're gonna be able to attach to them, but it's worth it. I'm gonna show you how we're gonna do that at the end. <clears throat> it's dangerous. Here's, here's the other thing. Uh, the second thing that, that the gospel is, uh, I think it'd be really easy for somebody to say, man, the gospel is uh, to follow Christ, to be a Christian. That is, uh, it's just, you just gotta abstain from everything, right? Like it's this life of withdrawal and abstain, uh, abstaining and, and you, you have to miss out on all the stuff. Here's the truth. Um, the gospel's not boring, but yeah, there's an element to following Christ that is set apart. If we're following Christ, if you're following Christ in this room, then you are called inherently in your life, in the way you live your life, to be set apart, to be holy as he is holy. We talked about uh, last week. Um, to be holy as he is holy. Uh, I wanna take you to Colossians 2, and we'll throw it up on the screen here. <clears throat> Listen to Colossians 2. Pick up in verse six. <clears throat> Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. So the Apostle Paul is telling us, man, as you received him, now he's commanding us, now go and walk in him. Walk as a, as a follower of Christ, as a believer. He tells us how rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So we get this picture of, man, that's what it looks like, man. Be rooted in who Christ is and, and live for him and abound in thanksgiving because of what Christ has done for you. And then look at verse, verse eight. See to it, 
that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. See to it, Paul says, that nobody takes you from this life planted in Christ and and takes you over here to just live the way the world has called to live. Be holy as I am holy, God says. See to it that nobody takes you from that life rooted in Christ with thanksgiving to deceive you to just live the life of the world, the the elemental world. Uh, For in him, verse 9 says, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and all authority. Paul is saying, hey, be set apart. Remember, you're rooted in Christ. You're rooted in Christ, now be set apart. Don't be deceived, don't be tricked to wander out of that back into what is not good. And then I love, he says, man, you're, you're filled. It is the fulfilling place to be. Yes, we are absolutely called to be set apart. Deny yourself, Christ says. Man, it'd be so much easier to just sugarcoat it. Man, it'd be so much easier to preach a false gospel and say, hey, you just need to pray a prayer. Guys, if you want to go to heaven for your life, you just need to pray this prayer, repeat after me, and then you get a ticket to heaven. And just associate yourself as Christian. Live however you want to posture your heart and where your faith is, but, but just say this prayer and then associate yourself as Christian. That's not the gospel. That's not what we're called to do. That's not what the, that's not what the Christian life looks like. Right? To repeat a prayer and then think we get eternity after repeating a prayer, right? like that's called witchcraft. Right? Like if we just say some incantation that it's in going to save us, then we're called to a life set apart. Does that life set apart earn us the salvation? No. No, it doesn't. What earns us the salvation is the fact that we say, hey, I want to be crucified with Christ. I want to stop being my own God. I want to put my faith in Christ. And he says, yes, you're mine. And he says, now live this set-apart life because that's what it looks like to follow me. Is that, what, is that what earned us that? No, that's the response of that decision we make. Is that how we get saved? No, that's the response of our salvation. Is that how God loves us? We live this? No, that's the response to knowing that, yes, I am his. And now I want to live a life set apart. That is the call to what it looks like to be a Christian. It is set apart. And then the last little adjective of, of, as we're kind of walking through, what is it, right? If it's not boring, what is it? It's dangerous, yes. It's set apart, yes. Last, last place I want to take us tonight before we talk about what do we do with that is this. Mark 8, 34 and 36. We'll throw it up here on the screen for you again. <clears throat> and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him Here it is, deny himself and take up his cross and follow. And take up his cross and follow me. Verse 35, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? This is what Jesus calls us to. He he calls us to a life following him that's dangerous, It's vulnerable. It's not safe in that sense. Um, He calls us to this life set apart, but he also calls us to this this gospel that's costly. Man, it's costly. I'd love to just be like, it's so easy. Yeah, 
to put your faith in him, but it is costly because what he says is whoever would follow me, pick up their cross, right? This idea of surrender, this idea of death, this idea that, hey, you no longer get to be your own God. It's costly to follow Christ. <clears throat> One of my favorite parables, uh, I, feel like I, I feel like I end up maybe once every three months tying in this parable in a, in a sermon because I just love the picture that it is. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew 13, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And the man finds that treasure and then he sells everything he has in joy to buy that field. <clears throat> I think that's so beautiful. The kingdom of heaven, right? The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Did you hear that? He sells everything he has. He sells everything he has to buy that field. But how does he sell it? In joy, he sells it. In joy, he sells it. You know why? Gospel's costly, but it is worth it. It is absolutely worth it. Sells everything he has in joy because he's seen that treasure in that field and he sees that and he says, oh my gosh, this is worth all of my life. All of my life, all of my doing, all of my striving, all, all of the things that I have been building, I will trade joyfully for that treasure in the field. And that's the gospel. It is costly, guys. It is dangerous. It calls us to, yes, live this life set apart. We're not supposed to look like the rest of the world, but it is absolutely worth it. And that's so beautiful and so powerful. It is worth it. It is not boring, right? Christ was the good wine, right? Some of you guys remember the first miracle of Jesus. He shows up at his wedding, right? He shows up at a wedding and his mom's like, hey, uh, they ran out of wine, right? She says, hey, Jesus. And Jesus is like, woman, he literally says that. That's what the text says. He says, woman, not now, look it up. He says it. Um, it's like, I don't wanna, right now? <clears throat> and, she, and she says, Mary says, hey, Servants, do whatever this guy says to do. And so the servants get these huge pots, right, of water, right, these, these clean water, and they bring them out to Jesus. And Jesus says, okay, now scoop up a ladle of that water and go take it to the, the chief over all the kitchen staff, right? Go take it to the, the leader of the, this, <clears throat> this party. So they do, and he drinks in this wine because Jesus, his first miracle is turning water into wine. And the guy says, the guy says, what in the world are y'all doing? And he tells the, the wedding hosts, he says, guys, you're supposed to save your good wine for last, right? You give everyone the good wine. I'm sorry, you, you're supposed to serve the good wine first and save the crummy wine for last. You give everyone, when they first show up to the wedding, you give them the best stuff. And then when they get a little tipsy, they get a little sloshed, right? Then you give them the really cheap stuff because they don't notice, right? That's what he says, right? That's what he says. He says, Man, why would, you, why would you save the best wine for last? And his, the, point, the point of that story is that God is miraculous, right? It's to show the authority of Christ. But there's this beautiful thing that happens there where Jesus is the good wine, right? Jesus isn't the cheap wine. I feel like, so why does our culture, why does our culture, and I don't blame them for it. Why do they look at the church? Why do they look so often 
at times at Christian community, like Brody's story, and say, yeah, right. I don't want to do that. That's boring. That's the, that's the crummy wine. Why do they not see the good wine? The community of God should be the good wine. Yes, it's costly. Yes, it's dangerous. Yes, it's set apart. But our world around us should see a culture of people who joyfully, because what we have is worth it, because we would surrender everything and trade everything for what we get in a relationship with the eternal God. Is that worth it for us? Or, or do we have this relationship with the eternal God through Jesus Christ and we're like, oh man, I really want that. Right? We've been offered this castle and we're like, man, I really want to live in that shanty. And our world sees that. Jesus is the good wine. I love that. So why does our world not see us that way? I would argue because we're not living the gospel. Right? Why do we not see it that way? Why do we get tempted so easily by the world? Why do in our life the temptations of the world seem so attractive to us? Because we're not living in the fullness of the gospel. Because we've watered down the gospel. Because we've neutered it to some safe, weird children's ministry prayer we pray in this mundane life of of checking the boxes, and that's not what Christ called you to do. He called you to live radically. Guys, the gospel satisfies. It should be the satisfying thing for us. Are you satisfied? And are you finding your satisfaction in who Christ is? Can you say, man, I'm gonna surrender my identity, my will, my plans, if that's what it takes, my pursuits, because I think what the Lord has for me in my life is better. I'm gonna do that joyfully in faith and I'm gonna run towards that treasure in the field. I'm gonna leave behind all these things that are worthless. Man, are you being satisfied by who Christ is? Our God absolutely wants to. And, and when we're not being satisfied by the power of God that's available to us, then that's when we turn to sin, right? That's when we turn to these things that are less than and we get stuck in these sin patterns. Um, man, we, we, turn to, we turn to sexual relationships, right? Because we're not being satisfied in our celibacy. Do we believe the power of Christ is enough to satisfy us in, in being, living a celibate life if that's where we're at as a, as a single woman or as a single man? Do we believe that his way is better and satisfying? Right? Do we venture into pornography? Do we believe that his way for how that's supposed to work is better and are we experiencing it? We're called to experience it. It's easy to preach it. Man, we, we would love to walk with you through that and show you how much more, specifically even in that topic. Uh, we've, got, uh, we've got a class um, that we get a bunch of guys together and we walk through what it looks like to live in purity. And so, so no joke, I didn't plan to say this, um, but there's a group of men led by some of my heroes in this church who are gonna do a... Um, an intensive discipleship on, man, what does it look like to live as a man in this world from sexual impurity? Man, what's that look like? Not how do we just modify our behavior? How do we just, oh man, I guess I just gotta be, have more self-control. No, no, no. How do you get satisfied in Jesus? How do you get satisfied in Jesus to where pornography isn't satisfying? To where pornography makes us grieve? Right? To, to where that, that kind of sexual sin makes us want to say, man, that, that's lifeless. How do we get that? Man, we would love, we'll, we'll put something on social media about that this week. Um, we'd love to walk with you real practically what that looks like in a group of other men uh, 
who are all trying to walk that out in their life. Maybe that's, maybe that's not sexual sin in your life, right? Maybe that's alcohol. Maybe that's, uh, maybe that's any number of substances that you use to medicate yourself because we're not finding our satisfaction in who Jesus is, right? We're not finding satisfaction from our pain, so we've got to numb it in other ways. Um, maybe it's just climbing the ladder and finding our identity and who we are and our success and our approval and everyone liking us, whether that's at your work or whether that's in your social circles, Climbing this ladder and being our own God and, and we become our own idol, fueling that. All these things are just symptoms of the fact that we're not being satisfied with the only thing that can really satisfy us, Christ. Everything else we're gonna be chasing after. Chasing after and it's not going to, uh, to ultimately bear fruit. <clears throat> or maybe we don't turn to sin, right? Maybe we turn to religion, Maybe we say, okay, I'm gonna to turn to religion. We're not turning to a relationship with Christ. We're turning to, I'm just gonna be better. And let me tell you guys, that sucks. That's a beating. To do religion, to just leave this and say, I guess I should be more religious. Is that what I'm hearing? That is not what I'm saying. To just try to do better, be more correct and follow the list, that's not the gospel. It says, man, what does a relationship with Christ look like? And a relationship with Christ that, yes, then impacts your obedience, impacts the way you interact with community and a church and, and accountability and you fellowship and spend time with other people who are also being satisfied and reminding each other how good God is and you worship him. And, but sometimes we just turn to religion and say, man, maybe I'm gonna feel better with that. Um, and that's gonna just get exhausting in your life. He wants our religion to come from this relationship that Paul talked about when he, he said he was crucified in that Christ, that surrender. Um, so what do we do about it? What do we do about this? Um, here's what we do. Let me end on this. <clears throat> the word is repent, right? That's, that's what we do. We repent, we change. Um, so <clears throat> if you're a follower of Christ in this room, right, <clears throat> and you feel like, all right, I, I've, I've put my faith in Christ, but when I look at my life, and I think of even the stumbling block I might be for somebody else who looks at it and be like, oh, man, that looks kind of dull and boring. And, and so you wander back into these things of the world. You wander back into immediate gratification, right? And you kind of see this stuff and you think, wow, man, that, uh, that, that looks really enticing. Our challenge is to go deeper, right? Our challenge is to, to realize and repent and change our minds and change our attitudes where we say, okay, I'm not finding my satisfaction in who Christ is and so, Lord, would, would you change my heart? And so what it looks like is even tonight, right? Tonight, some of you are in this room, and you want to follow Jesus. You want to be satisfied, but there is a disconnect there. It's easy to hear this guy on stage talking about, man, he's so satisfying. He's so good. He's so worthy. Why do I not feel that? Here is a real practical step for you. Now, I want to challenge you tonight when we go back into worship. At the end of the night, you can stay in here as long as you want. Spend some time praying. I want you to just pray a really bold, dangerous prayer to say, Lord, tonight, would you help me be satisfied in you? Would you reveal those things in my life that I'm choosing over you, that I'm finding my satisfaction in? And would you do what only you can do? Because here's my favorite part of the sermon, guys. I don't have any control over this. I don't have the words to say. We can't play the right songs to make this happen. This has to be a Holy Spirit thing. And so what you are being challenged to do is in the name of Jesus, go to that Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, change me. Make me satisfied more with you. Get on your face 
with the God who desires to give you more and say, show me what that looks like. Give me enough faith to get through the next hour and be satisfied with you. Surround yourself with other people who you see that in their life and say, would you continue to pray for me? Get in his word that is satisfying and points us to this God who is dangerous and costly and set apart, but worth it and beautiful. I challenge you to pray that prayer. And maybe you're just living a mundane Christian life and you're just choosing religion. Live boldly. Live radically. Take chances. Live the mission that Christ has called you to. And then here's, um, and here's, here's the only other thing I want to say tonight is um, maybe you're in this room. I love, this is my maybe favorite person in the room other than my wife. She's in here somewhere. Other than my wife, um, my favorite person in the room is somebody who's in this room who maybe says, man, I'm not, I have not yet drunk the Kool-Aid. I'm here because somebody drugged me here. They got me really sauced. I didn't know what I was doing. I made some bad decisions, and now I ended up here, right? They gave me the good wine at dinner, and now all of a sudden, they said we were going to snow cone, and we walked in here, and I'm stuck, right? <clears throat> or maybe, maybe I would say, you might not identify it as this, uh, but I would say, man, maybe God's stirring something in your heart. You don't know what it is, and you keep finding yourself wandering back into this place, or maybe for the first time tonight, you wandered into this place, and you're like, all right, let me see. Man, I love that you're here. I don't, think it's an, I don't think it's a coincidence. Oh, no. That was Satan's attack to distract us. <laughs> we were about to have a moment. Moment's gone. Sorry. Screwed. No. <clears throat> Listen, I don't think it's a coincidence. I don't think it's a coincidence you're here. Um, I think you're here because the Lord wanted you to do something. I don't think I have the power to do anything. I don't think my words are good enough to convince you Right? I didn't even sugarcoat the gospel, right? I told you the gospel's costly and it's dangerous and it's about surrendering and dying to yourself and, and, and it means, you, yes, you do have to live this set-apart life, but it comes from this relationship that's worth it, right? Like, that's, that's a lot. You know why? Because, yes, that's what we're called to, but it's worth it. My hope tonight is that even a seed is planted, that what I will be praying for, that your life gets ruined by that seed. And here's what I mean by that that it gets ruined by that seed to where all the other things that are gonna leave you empty. Man, listen, all the other things are gonna leave you empty. Those other things that you're chasing, I get it. I don't blame you for it, right? I don't, part of it just, yes, the church is full of hypocrites. Yes, it's hard. Yes, there's a level of I gotta leave things that I'm comfortable with. Yes, but my hope is that you get ruined to those things that aren't going to give you life. And they keep pulling you to the only thing that's really gonna satisfy. And that is a work of the Holy Spirit. And I'm praying that God ruins your life for anything other than him tonight. That anything other than him, you just, it just doesn't, it just leaves a bad taste. You know why? Because, because you're eating mud pies when the God of the universe has said, come and eat this feast with me. Come and drink from the good wine. It's worth it. And so if you're here tonight and you're not following Christ, man, I love that you're here. You might not be ready to do that tonight, but I hope that you hear the gospel, that we believe in a God who loves us despite ourselves, despite our sin, no matter how jacked up we are, no matter the mistakes we will make, loves us enough to say, I am entering my son, paying the price for you to have a relationship with me, the almighty God. It is life-changing. Don't settle for anything less than a radical following of Jesus Christ.
That is my hope, man. That is my prayer that happens to you if you're in this room and you're in that place. And for those who are following, let's wake up. Let's wake up and live the radical gospel that we're called to live because it's worth it. Let me pray over you. Father, God, you've got to do this work. Please, please do this work. Um, Lord, this is a lot tonight. It is a, a fire hose, and yet, Lord, we need your spirit to discern this, God, and we need your spirit to, um, we need your spirit to change our hearts. God, I'm standing here on the stage as a pastor, right? I'm paid, Father, to, to follow you, and yet I know there are all these spots in my life where I choose other things other than you. There's all these other areas that I find my satisfaction in other than you. God, would you continue to push those out of my life? Would you reveal to us, to my brothers and sisters in this room, what are those areas that we find our satisfaction in other than you? That we wouldn't settle for some boring Christianity, some fake gospel, that we would chase hard after you and that you would meet us in this place. You would change us, God, that as we even respond in worship, that we would not respond to standing and singing songs off a screen, but God, that these would be our prayers. These would be our acknowledgements of who you are and how much better you are. God, do what only you can do, Father. You know where we're at and you also know where you desire us to come and meet you. So Father, with your grace, your grace unending, meet us and bring us to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.